Welcome to yet another episode of EverStage's Go-To-Masters podcast, where we interview go-to-market leaders from today's most dynamic companies. Uh, Their unique insights, hard-earned lessons, and innovative visions are the stories we bring you weekly. I'm your host, Mike, VP of Global Sales here at EverStage. And for today's episode, we have Laura, who's the VP of Revenue Operations and Productivity at Olo. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike, for having me. Um, so my name is Laura. I am a recovering chef, um, but I've been in SAS for 17 years. Um, my career has been marked by building and scaling revenue teams, and I was privileged to bring um, Sprinkler through an IPO um, in 2021. Um And I'm currently with Olo as their VP of Ops. Um, Olo is the restaurant um, operating system of the future that helps restaurant brands um, give their customers a unified experience across both their on-premise and digital engagement, starting with digital transactions, ordering, and um, finally customer engagement. I love it. So you're really kind of uh, merging the best of of your pre uh, business life and now your post-business life, huh? I am, yes. And I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. Um, so uh, to jump right in, I know our listeners are, are really interested in a couple questions. So um, how has your experience been transitioning from sales training and enablement more to the ops side? You know, what influenced that decision to make the change and how do you feel about it now? Mike, um, great question. So actually, um, you know, even though my uh, LinkedIn profile, I think, has a very strong enablement background. I actually was in ops before I was enablement. Um, I was running international ops and then specifically focused on APG, um, re- revenue or sales ops. Um, and then I moved to supporting the CRO as his chief of staff. Um, in that role, my main priority was to look through data and uncover key initiatives that would help us really move the needle. So a lot of that work was was ops driven, right? It's it's data and it's data strategy. Um, And that's how I actually landed up in enablement um, from discovering that, you know, that was uh, one program that maybe needed a little bit of an overhaul to help our reps become successful. And we were hiring at that time, you know, 20 reps a month. So that was a big, big push for making sure that our AEs were very successful and set up, set up for success. Um, the interesting thing about my enablement program, I think because I didn't have an enablement background was that a lot of my um, outcomes um, were just productivity based. So I didn't use, you know, metrics like how many certifications we did or how many programs we rolled out. I really looked at whether we were impacting AE performance. And when I think about ops, my team's mission is to reduce the seller burden by giving the sellers the knowledge, tools, processes, infrastructure, data, and everything they need to be Um, to be efficient and operate at maximum efficiency. So in a way, sales enablement is already part of the ops landscape and ecosystem. So I think they work really well together. Um, So I guess, you know, the net net of it is that I was, I've always been in ops, you know, and, and um, it's just been sort of a natural process um, to come into this whole scope of um, ops and enablement together. I love it. I love it. And thank you for sharing. I think, uh, 
you know, I think ops and, and, you know, sales enablements, revenue enablements. Um, I think all of these individuals typically just wear a ton of hats. I know you mentioned the story of, you know, uh, uh, you know, essentially becoming the chief of staff for your CRO, you know, as a sales leader myself, I always found that, you know, my sales enablement team and my sales ops team, um, always served as, you know, essentially my psychiatrist and my psychologist a lot of times, right. You know, you know, uh, obviously my job as a leader is to reduce the seller burden. And, you know, uh, I think, uh, uh, I always got along really well with those folks and they literally had to do a variety of different things. And I think for most of them, that's kind of what got them going, right. That's kind of what gave them the juice for their, their role. So, um, you know, that, that really kind of resonates with me and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, the next question is, you know, what are the key areas of focus in enablement and how is it done differently at Olo? Great question. Um, so like I said, I don't have an enablement background or training background. Um, and so the approach that we took to enablement was really around inspiring our reps. And it wasn't so much, let's see how much information we can give them, but it was really around making them feel confident that they could do the job. So a lot of our enablement programs were around just like hearing from their field, uh, hearing from the field, hearing from their peers, figuring out, um, you know, the, the best stories to tell them, arming them with not just the information, but like the way that it was done in the field that somebody else did in so that they could really feel like um, they had the ability to do it as well. And the interesting thing about this is, is I, I generally felt like, look, the good reps would naturally become better on their own. Um, if they were inspired to do that and they felt confident, then they would be able to find the information. They would go, they would go out and find the information on their own. And it was just our responsibility on the enablement team to make sure that the information was really readily accessible. It was organized. Um, it was in a place, you know, one place that they could, they could go and find it. Right. Um, so the other thing too, that I, I mentioned earlier was instead of looking at vanity metrics, like completion rates or number of programs we rolled out, we really focused on, um, an increase in productivity. Right. And, uh, that was something that I made sure that my enablement team was really focused on. So everything, every program that we ran always needed to have a tie into, okay, what, outcome, what productivity, actual productivity outcome were we looking for? Was it like an increase in the number of deals sold for a specific product? Was it an increase in pipeline? Um, that was, you know, key for any kind of program that we ran. And then the last thing is enablement is also when you teach somebody about something, it's really about repetition. This is how people internalize. And it's kind of like, I call it the seven touch enablement plan where you have to reach um, somebody seven times in seven different ways before they remember something. It's kind of like cold outreach, right? Um, so we wanted to make sure that, you know, for everything that we did, we had different versions of how the reps would intake the information, whether it was an email or through the self-paced learning or a live session or a Q&A. There were multiple avenues for them to absorb it. Um, and, you know, if we hit them seven times, that was like, it was it was more likely that they would be able to retain something. Yeah, I think it's so, so important. I think a lot of times uh, people can get trapped in just explaining the information, uh, but not really explaining the why. And you mentioned Inspire. Um, you need your team to get behind 
the actions that you're trying to get them to accomplish or else they're never going to, uh, you know, succeed, right? They're never going to accomplish what, what you're trying to get them to do. Um, as well as, you know, multiple touch points. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's something that I've certainly, you know, tried to strive at all the organizations that I've been at, you know, in regards to, you know, you know, how are we really going to enable this productivity and really close the loop on it to make sure it's actually, you know, given our desired outcome. Uh, and it takes multiple, you know, sessions, right? Remind, recall, rerun, replay, recycle, rinse and repeat, you know, you know, so, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, it really hits home with uh, certainly me and a lot of our viewers. Mike, sorry, like, if you don't mind, let, let me just add one more thing um, to to the enablement um, uh, piece, which is I think a lot of organizations, we tend to fall into the trap of thinking that, oh, if we give our reps all of the information of every single thing right. and every single product, they'll go out and sell it. Um, but sometimes that can be very overwhelming. Right. And mm-hmm. and so that's why it's it's really important that we build up that confidence and the confidence is done um, through showing them that it was possible before. Absolutely. You kind of have to, to show them what good looks like in order for them to be able to accomplish good. Right. Yeah, um, yeah I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, how do you implement an effect, effective yet scalable sales process and team across the go to market function? you know, to be able to manage various different aspects of go-to-market planning, right? So talking about onboarding, capacity and quota planning, you know, the GTM strategy, and ultimately, you know, incentive design. Great question. Thanks for asking. So my organization is split up into four pillars, and you can also think about these four pillars as a process. The first pillar is um, revenue strategy and analytics. And this is the pillar that really drives um, the data and the way that we view our business. So what are the what are the levers? What are the things that we need to be focused on? Um, they own the reporting. This is the pillar, the first pillar. The second pillar is revenue execution. So these folks are the ones that um, work side by side with the sales leaders to help the deals get done, right? So this is like a deal desk, um, pricing, um, order forms, that kind of thing. Pillar is sales enablement, revenue enablement. So it's enabling the field with all of the initiatives that we found out that we needed to do in pillar one, right? Or things that we're seeing in the field through um, pillar two revenue execution. And then the last pillar is business systems. So all of the tools and making sure they all talk together so that we can get the right data coming in from all of it. And that's totally integrated. The, the one key thing that I've really tried to do is across all of these four pillars in both at both Olo and um, my previous organization, Kong, it was my <clears throat> it was my job and it was the first job that kind of grouped all of these functions together into one organization. And I've really tried to make sure that any um, initiative we do is cross-functional across the four pillars, because I want each pillar to be thinking cohesively what is going to help the sellers together. And when they all start thinking together, how these pillars work together is not just like, what are we reporting into the business? It's not just how do we get the deal done? It's like, how do we do them together? That's that's the way that I think um, we operate at maximum efficiency. Yeah, that, that cohesity, I think, is so important. Um, and are there any like, you know, key leading indicators in the sales process that organizations should keep in mind? Um, and as well as like, how would you measure efficiency on those? Good question. So I think that um, there are two 
leading indicators for sales organizations that help us really determine whether we'll be successful. And these are these for me are leading indicators, right? The first one is capacity. How many reps do we have on board? How many are ramped? Um, how many are in seat? How many attrits do we have? Um, so for example, at a previous organization, we had a weekly um, headcount call where we talked about, okay, how many reps are coming in? How many reps are going out? Are we going to have enough capacity? And that just helped us determine whether we had enough capacity to meet the number. So that's one, maintaining the headcount. Yep. The second is productivity. And productivity is a little bit harder to define. So my version of productivity is whether or not the AE has everything they need to be able to make and exceed their number. That's what productivity is. And the main leading indicator for productivity for me is pipeline. Do they have enough pipeline to be able to close their deals? Um, and it's interesting because a lot of organizations, I think, just gravitate towards the performance number, which is how much how much does the AE close and how many AEs close a certain amount of number. I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair thing to measure, right? At the same time, everybody is already measuring that. The business is measuring that. Finance is measuring that. We're already, <laughs> we're already, you know, everybody's already tracking towards, are we closing? Are we going to close the number? It's very obvious. It's very obvious. But performance in that regard is a lagging indicator, right? And sales is a forward-looking motion. So by the time we get to the end of the quarter, there is no way for us to really impact seller performance. It's not a leading indicator. Pipeline, on the other hand, is where we can look and we can say, okay, which AE is struggling with their pipeline? How can the ecosystem help them marketing, um, business development, the SDR? What can we do to actually bring up their pipeline? So my target metric for my organization is actually how many sellers have enough coverage for next quarter's pipeline? Just next quarter, because, you know, all time kills all deals, right? And and that has actually proven to be quite a, a good metric for us to um for us to like lean into. Going back to like um going back to performance and pipeline, we you know, we talked about confidence in the rep in, in our previous discussion. And when a rep doesn't feel confident because they don't have the pipeline, right? It sets them back even further. So when it, but when a rep has plenty of pipeline, everybody just jumps on to help them. And this is why the good the good reps, they naturally get better because everybody wants to jump on a winning ship, right? So it's really the reps that, you know, are struggling, you know, maybe, maybe the product's a little more difficult for them to understand, or maybe they've got a difficult patch or whatever. Um, those are the ones that we really got to be paying the most attention to. And it's not pushing them to close more business. It's helping them to build more pipeline. Um, that I think makes a difference. Oh man, you you know how I was saying that I always was the closest with my you know my rev ops and my sales ops uh, people at all of my my roles. Yeah. This is a perfect example as of why, right? <laughs> it is it. all about pipeline. It's all about those those at bats, those chances, in order mm -hmm. to then move the needle and actually you know close business, right? A lot of times, if you're just thinking about the end result, you're thinking about the people and the headcount that is needed to get to the overall number. You're forgetting the most vital thing. Do we have the groundwork laid in order to get there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's number one, number two, and number three, in my opinion. And so um, everything else can can fall into place. Training can fall into place. Enablement can fall into place as long as we have that that pipeline. And it requires 
so many parts, especially in today's day and age, and so many teams working together, marketing, you know, your your BDR, your SDR function, your AE self-sourcing, you know, things of that nature. And so, um, you know, you're you're speaking, <laughs> speaking my language, uh, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, so I know, obviously, now we're getting towards the end of uh, 2023, and and we're now kind of in that planning phase for 2024. Um, and so, what are your key priorities for for the upcoming year, and how is that going to be different than you know maybe how you've done it in the past? Yeah, great question. And, and Mike, just uh, you know, I I don't know if I mentioned earlier up front, but I've been at Ola only 90 days, so I'm still right. new in my role. Um, so a lot of what um, a lot of my projects right now is is really around setting up for next year more than changing or fixing what we're doing this year, right? So the three things that I are top of mind are, I think the first one is we're moving to a blended book on um, one of our key segments um, at Olo. And that's a different thing, uh, totally different because, you know, this year and in the previous year we were doing it um, where we had the growth, growth team and then we had um, the new business team. So making sure that all these books are equitable, that there's enough time for each rep um, is going to be key. And then the second thing is the sales process rigor. Um, so we've just introduced a new sales process um, that um, is way more prescriptive and um, has many more checkpoints along the way. Um, so that's going to be interesting for us to see how that really takes shape and um, goes into motion in Q1 and beyond. Um, and then the third thing is um, in restructuring the compensation plan um, to focus more closely on what all those goals are as a company. I love it. And and I think you're the perfect person to step in and obviously take on some pretty big projects, right? You know, uh, you know, introducing a new sales process, you know, uh, um, you know, blending books for for your emerging segment, right? Um, you know, all, you know, not small uh, initiatives, right? Um, but regarding the final piece uh, that you were talking about of your strategy being the compensation plans, you know, how do you go about, you know, creating an effective, uh, you know, plan as well as benchmarking against it? It's a great um, question. And one thing that I heard from a mentor of mine was, are your salespeople meeting their number? Great indication of whether your sales plan is effective. Um, there are three things that I like to keep in mind when designing a comp plan. The first one is that we should always align to company goals. Um, and that would mean that, for example, next year, um, at Olo, one of our key driving initiatives is to focus on new business, which is one of the reasons for um, the blended books as well um, in the in the enterprise segment, in the emerging enterprise segment. And so new business is now a weight on um, in our comp plans, and it's it's a heavily weighted metric. Um, where that never was the case. Um, so aligning it to company goals. The second is keeping it simple. So while we want to align to company goals, we want to pick right the top two or three goals that we're aligning it on. We want to make the comp plan easy to understand, not just from a rep perspective, but also easy to administer 
right? Both of these two things have to be true. Mm -hmm. On the administration side, actually, it works not just for the back office, but for the reps themselves. They need to be able to understand how it was calculated so that there's less back and forth between the commission team and the reps itself. The last thing you want to have is a complaint that's so complicated where the reps are spending a lot of time calculating what their commissions are going to be at the end of the quarter instead of closing those deals, right? <laughs> it, so it's counterintuitive. It. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes we want to drive to so many measures. We want to drive to so many measures because there, you know, there are these things and these other things that, that we need to do maybe at a product level, etc. But we really just have to like focus on the things that are most important um, to the business. And then the last thing is to keep it lucrative, right? Um so by that, I mean, I love to have on top components um, to the plan that are on top of the OTE. And that's going to be a, a big change as well for, for the AEs because they're, they, they should have the ability to make their number in, a, in a, like multiple different ways. They should be able to get to their OTE. And when we think about commissions, one thing, one thing that I like to do is think about the on top components as a percentage of acquisition costs for these other metrics. So for example, services, right? Can we think about that as a percentage of acquiring a services dollar versus how much commissions are we actually paying the rep? And <laughs> I, in, a, in a good commissions, um, in, in a good incentive you know, plan, we are paying our reps a lot of money, but we're keeping it reasonable because we're thinking about it as a percentage of um, acquisition. Oh man, uh, it's I think a couple of things there are so important. You know, one, I, I I am a big believer in when it rains it pours, and that's in a positive way and in a negative way. And so, if you have multiple people consistently hitting goal, that means that culture is going to get ramped um, and and be performing at a really high level. Um, as well as you know, positivity feeds off of itself, right? You have happy people that are good sellers and that are delivering on targets. Um, it's super, super important as well as having multiple ways to actually hit your goal, right. Um, to keep motivation, right. I think at the end of the day, you always got to remember that, that comp for a big aspect of it is the motivational factor. And so, um, you know, I think when, especially when you start getting a variety of different, um, you know, uh, uh you know, complications, <laughs> I think is kind of how you mentioned it with the plan. There's so many different variables and things like that. It's kind of, uh, confusing. Um, you know, it actually demotivates, but if you have multiple ways to actually hit your goal and you can ar clearly articulate that to your people, um, it can keep them going when maybe, you know, services fell off, but product, you know, had, you know, still has a chance, right. Um, it kind of yeah. keeps them motivated. So, um, super, super important. And, uh, I think oftentimes gets, gets overlooked, you know, especially when we're just thinking about that bottom line of, you know, uh, what are we paying out? You know, are we paying out too much? You know, at the end of the day, uh, it's all for a reason. It's all a percentage of a greater, you know, pile of of uh, revenue, right? So, um, but as far as kind of, you know, one of our last questions, so you could could you provide us some real life examples? And I'm sure you have a ton <laughs> of where ops enablement uh, have had its significant value to the uh, the organization. Yeah, I'll give you two examples, and I'd say that. Um, the first one is is really around um, data measurement, right? We measure what we treasure. And I think about the ops function too as like a flashlight that shines 
light on the blind spots in how the revenue organization is is running. Um, And while there may not be any causation, there is a strong correlation between what we're measuring, how we're surfacing the data, and whether or not the organization is performing better. So in this one example, um, we talked about pipeline earlier on, so I'll go back to that. And what we found was when we first started measuring this um, program, we found that only 30% of our reps had enough coverage for next quarter. Okay. Now, not a recipe for success, I would say. Not, not a recipe for success, right? <laughs> and then we started including it in the data pack that we would send out weekly. And every week I'd, I'd send I'd send this email along with the data and I'd, I'd call out, hey, just so you know, here are the reps that you know need more help. These are the reps that are doing really well. Maybe these are the t- patches and territories. And once we started highlighting these, um, you know, these areas of concern, like these are the things that we're really concerned, like that that we we really care about as a business, right? We we not we're not just talking about it. We're actually measuring it. We're actually talking about it, and we have the data to prove it. Just within two quarters, that number went from thirty percent to fifty percent. So I can't say that you know ops like. increase the pipeline but we really like made sure that everybody in the organization was um, aware that this was a key priority and we weren't just going to talk about it and let it go we were actually going to measure it and we're going to talk about it like on a weekly basis and highlight the top performers you know and um and help the ones that you know were struggling so that's one example and then the other example is um an enablement consumption so when we did an analysis of all of the reps that consumed our enablement programs, and that was everything from attending our enablement calls to um, downloading stuff on our you know, CMS, et cetera, we found that the best reps actually consumed 50% of all of our enablement programs. Now, it wasn't 0% and it wasn't 100%, but they, they consumed like mm-hmm. 50%, okay? And interestingly enough, we also found that the reps that consume more like closer to 100% and the reps that consume like less than 10%, those were the worst performing reps. So what that I think tells me is that there's a correlation between having the information available for the good reps to be able to go and find it. Um, And having an enablement program is really important because when the reps need to find the information, they actually do. They, they spend, um, they spend a reasonable amount of time on developing themselves. And that's also a mark of a good rep, right? So they're not spending 100%, but they're just spending enough time to develop themselves and then the rest of the time on revenue generating activities, which is absolutely what we want them to do. And the converse is also true. The reps that were spending either too little time or too much time just um, were either not focused on developing themselves, which in and of itself, you know, is a problem, or they were spending so much time on development that they didn't even look at their core, you know, core job. So I'd say both of these two examples are good, like correlation, not so much causation, but definitely correlation to the, the, the value that the ops team, I think, brings to the table. Uh, it, I think it's so true. I think that sweet spot right in the middle um, is where, you know, the, the top performers are always going to live, right? 
Um, obviously it's important to play both sides of empowering yourself to get better. There's real life scenarios that you got to get at bats on talking about pipeline again, um, as well as, but you have to kind of, uh, you know, uh, take matters in your own hands, uh, in regards to learning, right. Um, yeah. what are you doing off call and, and, you know, how are you practicing as opposed to how are you just playing games? And so, uh, it's really, really important. And I also think kind of, you know, leads you to my next question. Um, you know, which is uh, about resources. So are there any specific books that you would recommend um, for folks that are that are looking to scale their career in ops? I think that if you want to scale your career in revenue ops, you need to have the mindset of the seller because that's how, when you put yourself in their, in their mindset, right? They, then you know how to help them. It's not just about the business, what the business needs, but it's really about like how we can help them. So my favorite book is the qualified sales leader by John McMahon. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like, it's, it's, it's a great playbook. It's like my Bible. I think the challenger sales a really good one as well. Um, and then specifically, I guess for ops, um, the book, like, how to win friends and influence people is a good one because often I think ops people are made to enforce policy and, you know, where we can kind of come off as like the bad guys. So having a good number of champions, I think on your side is like really important. Oh, I I love it. I think, you know, uh, both things that you brought up in regards to, you know, you kind of have to get into your salespeople's mind and in order to truly empower them, understand kind of what they're going through, uh, monumental. So the, those books that you read, I'm obviously a big fan of them. I think anybody who hasn't read them that's listening to this certainly should, um, as well as, you know, you kind of have to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, collecting champions internally. Right. And you, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, inspire, inspire, inspire. I think if you're looked at as the bad cop, it's going to be kind of hard for you to inspire. Right. And so, you know, how to win friends and influence people, I think is a great roadmap. Uh, to, you know, kind of have that balance uh, for sure. Um, I love it. So uh, are there any kind of final thoughts or words of wisdom in addition to obviously everything that you've shared um, to our listeners who aspire to excel in the field of ops? Um, I just go back to getting into the seller mindset. And I think the best way to do that, if you've never been in the field, is to go out and get a field job. Um, you know, maybe you can ask for uh a secondment uh, and and be an SDR for three months if you've never done it before. Um, uh-huh. The best the best ops um, people that I've worked with have always come from the field and they've had they've had the pain of you know selling to the customer being rejected, um, going through all of the different system pains and and just being having that empathy you know for all of these difficult things that, that so important have to go through yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think, and I also think the, it's not just the empathy, it's also almost the credibility to a certain extent as well. Right. You know, I've been in your shoes, I've done this and that's where my expertise is coming in. Um, you can really kind of, it it can help kind of boost your, your ability to motivate, um, knowing that you're coming from a place of, of, uh, you know, mutual connection, right. We've both done this, and, you know, uh, we've both been in these trenches together and this is what what's come out of it. Um, yeah. So I think it's really, really important. Um, and so I really obviously appreciate, uh, you know, appreciate your time. You know, where can our audience connect with you and, and learn more about uh, your work and operations? Yeah, thanks. I think LinkedIn is a good place. Please feel free to find me there. 
Yes. Go, please, uh, please reach out. She's obviously amazing. Um, well, that brings us to the end of our, of our insightful episode of Go to Masters. Big thanks to Laura. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and valuable insights. And remember, you. you can t- tune in every week uh, you know, to learn more from game changers driving hyper growth companies across the globe. Go to Masters is brought to you by Everstage, your trusted partner in transforming the way businesses handle sales compensation. And I'm your host, Mike, signing off. Thanks, everybody.